0: Welcome to It Can Be Said. My name is Will Calling. I'm enjoying it always with a lot of Luke Midup and Simon Alvey. How are you both? I'm, Good, well, thank I'm you, well,
1: thanks. Well, I've got a new wheelchair, everybody.
0: Uh, now, what does this wheelchair not come
1: with? Oh, rockets.
0: It doesn't come with rockets. Well, it doesn't come with rockets. But it also doesn't come with something else. That that, that the, the nice man who, who built you the wheelchair just oh, couldn't yeah, understand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it was. It, so it came the other day, and obviously because I'm sitting, I'm usually sitting in it when I'm trying it out. I didn't notice that it didn't have proper handles on it, and I was going that this might be a problem. And they went, "Well, not really, because it's an electric wheelchair. Because so no one's pushing it, and even if you have to put it on manual, there's a bar, and it's quite like it's like no, guys, I I put my rucksack for work over the handle." Uh, and like I travel for work as well, so I put a big burger on the back of it with my clothes and my laptop in. You do what? That will completely ruin the bag! You can't do that! That'll not the weight distribution. I was like, well, how else am I supposed to carry luggage? Well, isn't there somebody to carry it for you? Oh, I can't never a line, but as you can see, I'm a, I'm a sad middle-aged man. All right, well, we'll get some handles fitted, but I don't recommend that you do that. Well, how else am I supposed to how else am I supposed to travel? I'm not I booking I'm not booking a cat. You see a lot of cats around here, guys.
0: I don't know, I, I kind of like the idea of you having your own jeeves just kind of following <laughs> you around. Yes, and also, I did resist the temptation to
1: point out that you are both carrying rucksacks.
0: Your leather jacket, uh, Dr. Middle. Thank you, James.
1: <laughs> I, <laughs> guess, I guess that kind of is what Tom is, sort of.
0: But he doesn't follow you around that work. He doesn't
1: follow me right now, yeah. Yet.
2: Um, h- how are you, Simon. I'm fine. My, 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 uh, fun, my, my fun story of, of entertaining um a, a sort of disability fun this week. I went to pick up my splints and discovered that they ticked the wrong box. So all all all, all of all of the but all of the splint was the wrong way round. So it was like, okay, well that's fine, except you now need to go yes, but you now need to go and um so that so I don't have the new splints now. <laughs> And I was like, it's the one bit of the NHS that I've actually got to work for me. So I was I was being incredibly polite whilst being quite annoyed that I'd got to an appointment at nine o'clock in the morning to to, to discover that it was a complete waste of my time. That's actually,
1: tough. actually, in about six weeks, I'm going for an appointment to see whether I need those kind of splints as well, Simon. So it's yeah. ex-
2: they're, they're, they're very exciting. Um yeah. that's all I can say. The actually, um
0: Go on, Simon.
2: No, as you said, good. The good thing is that Strathclyde is one of the two places in the country that, that like actually teach these people, and they all seem quite nice. You know.
1: okay.
0: Yeah, it's all good. Okay. So, we'll, we'll, we'll complete the set. So, I don't think I mentioned this in the last podcast. Apologies if I did. Um, but um, I I had to drop my son off in at Heathrow um last week, and obviously, like, I have his huge fuck off suitcase that his mum sent him with. Way too many clothes. I don't know why he, she sends with, hims with so many clothes. Um, but, like, so it's a huge wheel, wheelie suitcase. And so, like, it was like, well, actually, when I've got this huge wheelie suitcase, a walking stick's more of a hindrance, because the hands that would normally you I'd use a walking stick in, but that's dragging the suitcase along. And it's not like if I'm with my stepson, you know I need the other hand free in case William starts starting off places no he needs to hold my hand because he's only a baby um um and so I didn't take my walking stick, which was fine going there because when I no when I was walking, you know you just use the wheelie suitcase as almost like a makeshift walking stick and you know that's what you're putting your weight on going back. Oh my oh my fucking god I was crawling by the end of it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but
0: yes, don't don't leave me again, uh walking stick. Well you know what? You know what's good about walking stick, particularly like someone like myself where like it's my like lower back that's the issue. So like I have like complete movement on my shoulders. Well normally, sometimes I'm in pain. Um If people aren't listening to you when you're delivering training, you just turn your your walking stick upside down and start whacking it on the ground until they listen to you and they feel ever so guilty that they didn't listen. Anyway, we're going to do something different today. We are going to do a potluck lightning round. Now, we've done lightning rounds before. Well, we come with six items that we're going to talk about in relatively brief, you know, 10 to 15 to 20 minutes each. But what we're gonna do is we've done no prior preparation for these topics. And indeed, we don't know what these topics are gonna to be because it's a pot look like around, i.e., each of us brings the topics and we just roll with it. We roll with the punches. So what is where it's gonna be? It's gonna be a snake draft. They're gonna do it in alphabetical order, to be fair. So Simon will start, then I will, then I will Then I will go, then Luke will go, then Luke will go again. So he will have his two topics in, in succession. Then it'll be me again, and then we go back to Simon for the last topic. So um, yeah, over to you, Simon. What is our first topic in the pot look lightning round?
2: Yeah, so a delightfully light and friendly one as a start, Um, just to say uh, but I thought something I think that had happened just after uh, we wrapped on the last episode, Um, and that is the ugly scenes in Brazil um, with the supporters of Jair Bolsonaro, um, former Brazilian president and professional Covid patient. Get going. Uh, who basically did their version of January the sixth, but except they did it a couple of days late. They did it on January eighth, in which they stormed um, the Brazilian Parliament, the Brazilian Presidential Residence, and the Brazilian Supreme Court in ways that felt very familiar. Um, I'm just really interested in what you you guys sort of think about uh, a about like what does this mean for sort of Brazilian democracy, but also like what is the you know is this is this is this going to become a trend? whenever, you know, rather grim populists end up losing power in democratic elections.
0: So I think it is worth saying that this did happen after the transfer of power in Brazil. So, like, it's not just days late because it was on January 6th. It's days late because it's after the transfer of power. Like, Lulu is president again. Um, but the other thing, which I think a lot of people say is (laughs) kind of... Sorry, sorry, well, it's Lula. Lulu. (laughs) Um, The other thing is bad guy, bad Brazilian guy. He had gone off on holiday to America rather than actually being there for the transfer of power. Because one of the things you're meant to do as an outgoing Brazilian president is hand over the presidential sash. To your to the new to the new person, and he'd refuse to do that, which I think some people would say was kind of the, giving a wink to the idea to kind of launch this um, this kind of assault. Um, I think this is. I always thought Rostov heart, although he can be a bit wishy washy on stuff like this, had a good article in the aftermath of January 6th where he was like, you know, there was a dreamlike quality to a lot of the kind of stop the steal rhetoric from the right. And it's it's very easy to say that when the capi- capital was, was ransacked, that that proved it wasn't dreamlike, that it was r- real. But when you actually see the kind of misfits and lunatics and freaks that were doing the ransacking... It's like no, it's it's not as clear cut as the stop the steep the stop the seal stuff was real. There is a like it's almost like this dreamlike world, this dreamlike conspiracy gained reality rather than it always having been real. And I think there is a sense of the people attacking the Brazilian seats of democracy and justice were cosplaying January 6th like one of the things you know the, the brazilian parliament buildings they were in recess so there was no there's no fucker there. like it's not it's not like january 6th when actual politicians were in danger like there was no one there they were rampaging around empty buildings so i think it does i mean i've i've mentioned this before it raises the question of do you have to start looking at the american right a bit like you look at other? Um, foreign um, political movements and say, actually, we have to police our interactions, our engagement with them because they kind of lead people on to do bad things. Like, I always make the point about you, Kip, you know, Nigel Farage was on to something real in 2013, 2014. I'm not saying he was real, but he had, like, alighted upon something real. And then after spending a few weekends in like Fox Fox News studios and with American think tanks he'd be he became a much more orthodox right-wing figure that didn't really resonate with his potential voters even now you're getting like the COVID um dovish stuff being peddled by our right-wingers and it's just like this is not this is not how our old people are processing the issue you know, like my 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 parents are pretty right wing people, um, and you know they're they're keeping on top of their vaccines and everything. You know why? They want to fucking die. <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so I I I think it raises questions about how you how you engage with America. It raises questions about kind of like the kind of cultural footprint of American, uh far-right Republicans and how that can actually lead to bad things in other countries. What do you think, Luke?
1: Well, I mean, I'm just struck by the extent, like like you said, Well, I'm just struck by the extent to which um, social media and the internet in general, because I think social media is blamed for this disproportionately and actually it's more broadly it's a more broad online space than just social media. Can create these entirely closed loops in which, you know, completely distort reality. Because one of the interesting things about um, Brazil is ever since the election took place, Bolsonaro's supporters have been camping outside of army barracks, um, basically in the belief that the army was going to stage a military coup.
2: Which it didn't.
1: It did. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not an expert on Latin American civil-military relations, but I know people that are, and I follow some of them on social media. And the idea that the Brazilian army, this iteration of the Brazilian army, that has had it hammered into it since the return to civilian rule in the 1980s, that you don't mount the coup. The idea that they were going to mount a coup on behalf of Jai Bolsonaro, was never, never in a million years had the remotest possibility of that happening.
0: Just total. Well, I think there's an interesting thing that's going on across the world, which is, you know, education <laughs> polarisation, youth po- age polarisation. Yeah, you know, the the rhythm's going to get you. You know, no matter how hard you try and fight it. And what are soldiers? Soldiers are younger than um, the the average population for obvious reasons. Although they may not be educated in the way we mean, they may not have gone to university, et cetera, et cetera. When when you look at educational polarization, you're actually looking at openness to experience. So the idea of that you seek new challenges, you seek new experiences – Why do people join armed forces? You know, in most countries, it's because they're bored. No, it's it's Luke Skywalker, isn't he? You know, he's bored being a salt farmer, he wants adventures. So actually, what you are seeing across the world is conservatives slowly realizing that the army in this new paradigm where conservatives are cranky uneducated old people um that the army isn't on their side because the army is more is younger it's more diverse it's more open to experience and so and like and this is a classic example because like the it's not just that the army didn't do a coup like because they may have been cosplaying at january 6th the brazilian army wasn't cosplaying the various aspects of the American um, state that went soft on the January 6th protesters. Like, there were a lot of head cracks and a lot of people arrested. Well, well
1: yeah, but it's not just that. I mean, you know, Brazil, Brazilian history, there have been, you know, multiple <laughs> military regimes. So after, after civilian control, after democracy was restored in the 1980s, you know, politicians got both centre-left and centre-right made it their mission to purge the Brazilian military of any officers that would even think about mounting a military yeah. coup. And it's been drummed into generations of junior officers that you do that you do not flirt with, you do not even flirt with that kind of shit anymore.
0: Can but, I... Sorry, can I... Can, before we... I want to bring Simon in because this is his topic, but, like, I always think the... Just, no, like, Doctor Who used to do this a lot under Russell T. Davis. Like, when you mock people who say, I was just following orders. I always think that kind of misses the point. Like, obviously, there are some orders you shouldn't follow. Like, you generally shouldn't follow. But, like, actually, in a democracy, the army and the police... Should do what they're told, even yes. if they think it's a bad idea. Like I know it's like a nuance, and you can you can take it too far, and you can use it to justify it, all sorts of bad things. But actually, fundamentally, the the bias should be in favor of yeah. You, this person is telling me to do something. You
1: want you what you yeah you want you don't want the you don't want the people you don't want the people with the guns thinking too far outside their lane. To be honest.
0: That's when bad things happen. So what do you think, Sam? You asked the question. What do you think?
2: I I think there's a lot. Yeah, like I think you're you're you're, you're largely right. I think if you look at that coup, I mean, it's a very. It was very. It was very sad. I think some of the Some of my sort of favorite. Some of my favorite architecture in the world, the Brazilian federal architecture. It's stunning. Stunning looking building, but. Yeah, yeah, it was. It did, or it did have the feeling of cosplay, as you say. It happened a week after uh, Lula had been inaugurated. Um, In, I think it has. Oh, been, oh sorry, uh, sorry, so, sorry, Simon.
0: Yeah, can we just say like, why uh, Paramount, Viacom, whoever shoots the new Star Trek, why they haven't gone to Brazil? to use the Brazilian national Congress as the headquarters of the federation. <laughs> okay. Like it is so star Trek. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. Sorry, oh. Simon. Yeah. These are brilliant. Bil- these are, these are remarkable. These are remarkable abilities. Sort of and, and, and yeah, going around, you know, storming up the Supreme court and things, but not, not whilst those, those bodies were in session. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a concern i think it is i i worry you know there's obviously the concern that there is some evidence that the police rather than the mili- than the military you know were the the doors of those buildings were not bust open they were opened you know pretty easily so the question of whether there are people on the inside in the security services in the police that are supportive of this kind of nonsense is a concern would be a concern and i think that it, it it paint it makes it paints a very a picture that lula's return to brazilian to the leadership of brazil may be a very difficult time but on the other he may have a difficult time with you know a pretty violent minority but it there is now a possibility it seems to me that he can unite basically everyone other than some quite extreme figures in support of bolsonaro Behind well, the Luna regime, going well, you don't want to give in to these lunatics. Well, c-
0: c- before Luke comes in, I like I, I do think this is going to become more and more of an issue um, as as we move forward. Again, because it's an educational polarization issue. Like I'm not saying all uh, police officers are, un- are uneducated because that's obviously not true, but like they d- like moving into the police is clearly a less adventurous thing to do than joining the army. Um I, I'm pretty sure the police is less um uh I no say in this country the police is less ethnically diverse than the than the armed forces. So actually I think you are going to look more and more that the threat of coups or coup like behavior. I was there's an academic debate about what is a coup and what isn't. Um but um that actually things like the police are are, are kind of the the, the greater risk um, just because they are more likely to have a concentration of, um, you know, ethnic majority people, people not interested in education, people not interested in new ideas. Um, I'd imagine the police on average is older than the army because of the way armies kind of uh, work and how they phase people out. So like and like I'm 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 it kind of harkens back to like Greece in the sixties. Was it sixties or fifties with the like the colonel's coup where like actually the 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 upper echelons of the military were fairly loyal to the democratic government, but the actual kind of hard nosed right wingery was 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 in the junior ranks, which actually was an issue that Japan faced uh, between the two world wars as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, just going back to to the point Simon was making. I mean, Lula's vice president is the centre right guy. He beat in I can't remember two thousand. Anyway, he's just he's a centre right politician that Lula beat for his second term as president. The first time Lula was president, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and he's. The cabinet he's appointed is actually a pretty good cross-section of the centre-right and centre-left in Brazilian politics. So there is there is a sense in which this is kind of a weird coalition administration. Um, and I, re- I read some I read some really int- I read a couple of really interesting articles. I and mean, this is something I don't know anything about. So, um, but. Sort of looking at Bolsonaro's links to the evangelical church um, in in Brazil, and at the at the evangelical yeah sort of Protestant evangelicalism has sort of exploded in what was a traditionally a traditionally Catholic um, country, and again a lot of these evangelical churches have their roots in the United States. And the evangelical movement that has become obviously an integral part of the republican base um so yeah, there is a sort of there is a sort of weird far right international out there um, yeah
0: which, well, it's it's it's
1: which, the... is, which is incredibly paradoxical
0: well no, it's not though, is it because it's 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 not paradoxical on two levels. One, if as these groups do, you believe there is some sort of quote unquote globalist conspiracy against the uh the um of each individual country, then the need to in to to join forces even if you don't like each other, it but be- no but be- becomes essential. But secondly, what you're trying to do, what these groups are trying to do, is restore the idea of, you know, the, every nation is king of its own castle, and and by every nation, every nation's ethnic minority is king of its castle, and by every nation's ethnic minority, every nation's ethnic every every nation's men of their ethnic minority majority is king of their castle. Um, and so, actually, it makes perfect sense why um, you get, um, you know, Brazilian, uh, Brazilian, uh, Brazilian trad racists wanting to work with American trad racists, why people who are clearly anti Semitic don't mind working with uh, Netanyahu and trad racists in Israel. Because fundamentally, they both agree that the Jews should fuck off to Israel. Um, um, and that anybody, you know, and, and, and so, like, actually, there is a common, like, rage against cosmopol- cosmopolitanism, against liberalism in its small L form. So, actually, it makes sense. You know, like, it makes sense why Marine Le Pen would make common cause with far right passes across Europe. Because they they try they are actually they are you no, know, in their mind and to a certain extent they are right. Um, not they're no, they're not entirely right. But you know, there are uh, cross cr- no cross cross national movements in favour of greater diversity and greater you know sexual freedom, gender gender liberalisation, etc. Cetera, etc. etc. They are all fighting common enemies and a common enemy needs a common front you know th- you no know, these these are basically the same as the league of emperors in like the 19th century which wow was... you are you you are just on fire with the historical analogies tonight, but... <laughs> but that but like no but those made no sense back in the day either but they did make sense because they had a common enemy what do you think simon
2: I, I think that's. I think at any, the any point at which you start citing the League of the Emperors is time to go ding and move on to the next topic. <laughs> okay, so any but I, thought, thought, I thought genuinely, I thought a really like inter- really interesting discussion, and I'm really glad we've taken some time to have a excellent. chat about it.
0: So, so my one mm-hmm. is going to be um, the in, the forthcoming decision by the British government whether to allow um, the Scottish Gender Recognition Act reforms to receive royal assent. So um, this is currently being uh, reviewed by the British government, um, and there is a lot of briefing that actually they may deny royal assent to these reforms. Um, For those who who want to know, the reforms are basically to uh, water down the kind of gatekeeping aspect so you would no longer need, uh, like, a, basically a go to go before a medical uh, panel to re- receive your gender recognition certificate, um, and you, and it would also lower the minimum age um, uh, that you could uh, start applying for this process. So now it'd be lower to sixteen, which, when you think that at the moment it's a two-year process, um, that's actually quite a big a big revision down. Now, to me, like, look, there's a lot of arguments over. The best way of having legal um, recognition of people's change of gender. It's quite, I mean, I think people sometimes underestimate the kind of diversity of opinion within the trans community. Like there's a lot of trans people who just fundamentally don't agree with the legal recognition of gender and don't want to be part of a register of officially trans people. For, and I think you can work out the reasons why. Um, that might be a bit of a problematic concept. I think the interesting thing here, the interesting debate is the kind of the argument over the union. Because what the government is saying is this can't happen because it have implications for British equalities law. Now, I have to be honest, I'm not overly comfortable that equalities law is actually devolved. Um, so like, you know, the, the Welsh government at the moment talking about some changes to the equalities law. Well, more activating parts of the, equality lo- of the Equality Act that are lapsed. But this isn't really the case with what they're talking about. A, and like, it's very boring, but we'll just, we'll just kind of talk about it. This is where I come, the, the equalities nerd. The way gender assi- reassignment status has been, that's protected characteristic of the Equality Act, the way that has been defined, it is if you're considering, undergoing... Or have completed gender reassignment like it's just not true that you get like this elevated status if you have your gender recognition certificate that's not the way the law works and people who say it is the way the law work are, are, are wrong and they're deep and they're they're fear-mongering so you know like you know like in In my work, in your guys' work, you know, you would have people who are trans who may not even have gone through the gender recognition process, but they still are protected in law. This is, in fact, illegal to ask people for their gender recognition certificate. They can offer it to you as proof if they want to, but you're actually given things like a new birth certificate, et cetera, et cetera. To me, the the key thing is so. Is you get you the government trying it. Apparently, the government is preparing to say the British government is preparing to say this will just fuck up the operation of equality's law in Britain because you'll have people who, where they cross the border, will go from being a man or a woman in Scotland to being a woman or a man in England. And that's just not the way the union works. The way the like the partnership of equals, parity of a seam, like a lot of that is kind of nonsense to make the Scots feel good. But part of it is England respects what Scotland does, and Scotland respects what England does. And in the same no, in the same way you would have the couples going to Gretna Green to get married, those marriages had to be respected in England, even though those marriages did not meet the standards for marriage in England. If, if someone changes, you know, gets their gender reassigned in Scotland, that should be, that should be respected by the English authorities, even if it's done to a different set of standards than exists in England. And if that means some people go to Scotland to deliberately exploit this loophole. Well, fine. Again, it used to be a thing. It used to be a common thing in, you know, in the like historical memory of this country that, you know, couples who wanted to get married before one of the parties was 18 and they didn't have their parents' permission would go and get married in Scotland. So, I, I I think it's a really bad idea to deny this, um, to, 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 to prevent this receiving royal assent. I think it's clearly in the purview of the Scottish government. There's nothing wrong with Scotland having a slightly different approach on these issues than England. Um, it's had different approaches on these issues before devolution existed. Um, um and I I I yeah, I, I, I don't like this at all. What do what do you think, Luke, as the uh yeah, expert? Yeah, I, mean, I
1: I think I think this idea should come with a warning that says a massive neon sign that says this is an elephant trap. Elephants of limited intelligence stay away from it. I mean the SMP, the SMP would absolutely love it if the UK government did this. Nicola Sturgeon is sitting there just waiting for Alistair Jack to do this. And it's... The fact is, Alistair Jack is not a very good Scottish secretary. You've got John Lamont, who is his junior minister, or David Mundell. That would be... then. Much... David Mundell has a proven track record of being quite a good Scottish secretary. Alistair Jack is a rich, is a rich minor, basically minor noble who doesn't have his finger on the pulse of contemporary Scottish politics at all. Thinks this is a winner because he's going to pick a fight with the SNP over a bill that's not popular. But believe me, once Westminster does this, the in, the rights and wrongs of the bill itself are going to be immaterial. The SNP are just going to scream unionist overreach. And by the way, Will, I absolutely agree with you. This is completely inside the competence of the Scottish government. This is, this, this is the kind of thing that devolution was invented for. And as you say, this would have been, this would have been separate under Scottish law, even without devolution. I think the Gretna Green um, Parallel is a really good one, and just, just it's been re- it's been really depressing to watch this whole Farago, to be honest. Because on the one hand, on the one hand, there has been an enormous amount of fear mongering about, uh, about uh, you know about uh, men in inverted commas, in women only, in you know in. In women-only spaces and yet whenever yeah whenever you sort of test that this theory is entirely you know the idea that this is going to happen is entirely hypothetical and the idea that you know sex offenders are got the idea that um you know the sex offenders are going to change are going to change their their gender in order to be able to get into female-only spaces they're sex offenders they don't need an excuse to be there. They're going to try and be there anyway. That's the nature, that's the nature of that's the nature of the crime they're committing. They're not gonna go, they're not gonna go to all this trouble to make it. They're not gonna go to all this trouble for what's basically a disguise. That's not the way, that's not the way people like that think. And whenever you try and say, you know, can you point to an example of when this has happened? Nobody can. It's a purely theoretical problem. On the other hand, the SNP Green government rammed this legislation through with, you know, knowing that with no. I I am. Um, on the one hand, I do think it should be easier because I've, I've seen, you know, trans people point out the sort of Kafkaesque. Um, architecture that they have to try and get through in order to get medical treatment. I am slightly uncomfortable with lowering the age of consent to 16. I think there's a reasonable debate to be had there and the Scottish government completely shut down that debate.
0: Um, But the key key thing is it's not for the British government to make the Scottish government get better decisions. No, it isn't.
1: No, you're absolutely right. No, it isn't. Um, And I was just, I've got to say, I'm just really depressed about the quality of debate around this whole issue, because it seemed to be one side basically going, won't somebody think of the children? And the other side going, if you have any concerns about this legislation in any way, shape or form, you're a bigot. And nothing seemed to exist between that, to be honest.
0: What do you think, Simon?
2: Um, I we I I I tweeted last night because uh, that the, I think that the debate turfs versus the Scottish nationalists is where the discourse finally goes to die, um, and I think that's kind of <clears throat> sort of I think that's where this I, I agree with basically everything that you guys said. I always think really interesting and issues like the trans debate that you know we have very wildly different, you know, we have pretty differing opinions across most things. It's what I think makes this podcast work, but like on, on issues of, of the sort of trans rights issue that is, you know, I think quite a, you know, quite contentious in certain spaces. Basically, I think we could all, we all are on basically basic, are on, on broadly the same page. And I find that rather illuminating and illustrative of the, you know, of the sort of, of the sort of, as you say, kind of, scaremongering there's no other way of putting it figures like graham Linehan and jk rowling you know have you know i think it's one of the most interesting it's a fascinating experience of watching a radicalization spiral happen in real time that we that we've seen over on this subject over the last few years and, and yeah that obvi- like as with every as with every concern everything you know there is a there are some challenges i don't know enough about um you know, whether whether it's wise to lower the age of consent to 16, I mean, without without sort of knowing a great deal about um, that question, it seems to me equalizing it with the age of sexual consent feels right to me. We're ba- we basically say that's well, the moment. Well,
0: here's, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure what the right answer is either. Now, one of the things you've got to be careful when you talk about the age of consent is people talk about the age of consent being 16, it's heavily caveated. Like you as a sick, no, say a 16 year old, you cannot consent to have sex with your teacher. You know, like, like there are like, actually, like, you know, if you are like a 40 year old having sex with a 16 year old, it, you know, if there is, and like, as there probably is, any evidence of like power imbalance, grooming, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It doesn't matter that' they're 16. No, you you can be brought up uh, for for, for uh, no, sex abuse charges. Like, there is this grey area of 16 to 18. Like, the age of consent was lowered to stop, like, 19, 18, uh, 17-year-olds having sex with each other with 16-year-olds getting into trouble. Yeah. But actually... They like because like you know in law, you're not an adult until you're 18. That's like that's what the law says. So like it there is, there. I mean to me like actually there's just a bigger issue of it. Like a lot of this stuff isn't relevant anymore. Like actually this kind of gatekeeping approach, like um, not, not in my current job but in my previous job, you, know, you could just declare. What that 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 your gender, um, that your gender was different to what i been assigned at birth. We didn't ask, you know, we, we're not legally allowed to ask for checks. Likewise, in my current job, in every job I've ever had, you know, you are made, you, you, you declare your gender, no one goes and double checks it against your birth certificate. Um, in my previous job, we allowed people to put their prefixes up on the system, and no one will check whether those prefixes occurred with what was legally defined. Like, I, I, like, a bit like, Luke, I, when this debate first rose, I had my concerns, you know, maybe, you know, like, it seems like the system is working. We, we have relatively low levels of detransition. It, why not keep it like this? I think I think society has moved beyond it to be honest. Um, and and actually it's it's the, like I, I don't think it's a big issue either way, but like actually the the, the, the real issues are in getting more funding for gender reassignment clinic you know, gender therapy clinics, getting more money for the like the, the actual plastic surgery um, aspects of it so that can be done. Because actually, the the big waiting list isn't the the gender isn't the gender recognition act process. It's the fact that the waiting list is so long.
2: Sorry, carry on, Simon. Yeah, and I, look, I think I think there's a lot in that. I think the thing I would say, I think the the problem the problem with this debate, and, and Luke's Luke's you know sort of like characterization of the debate, which I don't think is unfair. That you know both sides have been kind of reduced to screaming. The problem is that like that it bec- it becomes very difficult to have a rational debate around the concerns around the age, you know, age of consent that Willis just pointed out, you know, with these sorts of people that basically see trans people as essentially not really human, not there's an almost a sense of giving them no human agency at all. That, you know. Any person who you know might be might be looking at their gender might be looking at questioning their gender identity is basically a rapist who's you know in drag and <laughs> you know and those are those are stereotypes of the of the debate that you get from people who are I think gender critical is the term that they they like yeah. to prefer to but, use but
1: but, what, what, what sorry Simon what I find infuriating about that is when you sort of go, Okay, I can, I can, I can hypothetically see the danger you're talking about in, in, in you know, in, in women-only spaces, in, in changing rooms, in women's prisons, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Point out to me one example where this has actually happened—not a theoretical problem that might occur, but an actual case where this has occurred. Nine times out of ten, they can't do it. Well, it's, it's, and it's, it's like it, are, are you are you are you really are you really comfortable advocating for a position where thousands of people have to live, you know, have to live lives where they cannot live as themselves just to avoid a hypothetical problem.
0: Well, it's not just that. like, it's like okay, it's you can't just ban things by magical thoughts. Like, you have to put in a place, put in place a system. So how are you actually going to police it? Because at the end of the day, at the moment, there aren't bouncers on women's changing rooms or women's toilets. So actually, what if if you want to police this, you're signing all women up, not just trans women, but you're signing all women up, to really intrusive checks to make sure they are women and the reality of it is those checks will, 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 will centre on women who don't fit a certain
2: ideal yeah. I mean we, we are already seeing it with you know as you say but, butch women are you know I, I think of you know the musician Grace Petrie of whom I am a, a big fan and you know certainly follow you know and she is she is already very you know she is a she is a butch but cisgendered woman that's who she is and she's yeah she's worried that she's going to have her gender identity essentially questioned by people who are you know trying to trying to police trans people
0: we've already seen this in america where a lot of this trans legislation that was kind of being cheerleaded anti-trans legislation has been cheerleaded by useful idiots in like the quote-unquote lgb movement suddenly was like oh actually we're also gonna go after gender non-conforming people because at the end of the day what's more gender non-conforming than having sex with somebody of the same sex you know like that's the example of not meeting the expectations (laughs) of your sex um so yeah, so like um like I think I, th- I think as well like some of these questions are just hard, like this is this is like new technology like the 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 impetus, the desires behind this technology aren't new, but like the ability to um um meet those desires is new, and it's it's ever evolving. So, like on on the question of how how young should someone be allowed to transition, it's a really fraught issue because um you know I think like everybody no, no, just talking about my own everybody who's ever came out as gay or bi has been told oh it's just a phase. Mm. Um now the fact the fact is for a lot of people it's not a phase. For most people, maybe it's not a phase. Well, actually for a lot for some people it is a phase. Um, Because actually, when you're a kid, you don't know what you want. And actually, for everything you get right about your future direction, you're going to get some things wrong. But the thing is, when you come to things like puberty blockers, um, if you get put onto them, it makes the process of transition much less traumatic, much less hard. Um, so there is an argument for actually no early intervention, intervention when you're young is a good idea. But then there's the argument of well, actually uh, do young people have the the capability to make these decisions? It's it, like it's a genuinely difficult argument. It'd be great if we and like the same with women's sport. Um, there is an argument that men uh so sorry, sorry, anybody who's gone through my, no, sorry. That there is the argument that, as men are on average much stronger, much faster um, than women, that anybody who's gone through male puberty will be at an enduring advantage, even if now they are an estrogen, they are a trans woman. Now, there's the other argument which I've seen um, uh, raised, which is well, actually. The what you get your strength from is your testosterone estrogen ratio. So if someone's literally being pumped full of estrogen, their estrogen testosterone ratio will be much less than what their body was being designed for. So actually, they'll be at a disadvantage because yeah, like, their skeleton hasn't changed, they're, like the they, the bulk of their body hasn't changed, but they have much less testosterone to push it around. Um, than they would have had if they hadn't have transitioned. And, you know, and like, look, you know, women, American women's sports is the place to look because it's the most advanced system in terms of collegiate uh, setup. It's not actually the case. There's a bunch of trans women who mm. are dominating the space. So, like, you know, again, you can see the theoretical argument, but is it true? And like, this is where it'd be great if we could just. Dial the temperature down and have some research and see what compromises have to be made. But I like I I don't think it's a case of both you no know, plague on both houses because I'm sorry like I I follow quite a lot of trans activists. I don't think they're as obsessed with trans no. issues as as the anti-trans people. Like it's, not the most
2: extreme, like not the most extreme, like you know. It seems to be the only thing that I, I you know, I, I met, you know, people like Graham Linehan, they, they seem to be unable to talk about anything else. Whereas, yeah, trans activists I follow often to also talk about transport policy because they're usually nerds. Yes. the ones I follow anyway.
0: <laughs> and I think it's what, well, like, you know, me, um, me and Luca both been radicalized in the other direction by the monomania and refusal to compromise of the anti-trans activists.
1: Well, there's that. And there's also, and I know know I've mentioned this before on the podcast, the video that Abigail Thorne did um, outlining the the difficulty she had in transitioning and just how, like, I hadn't, before I watched that video, I hadn't realised quite how gatekeepy the entire process is. And how difficult it is to get through those gates.
0: Yeah, and I think oh, I will end this thing now because we've got to get onto your topic, Luke. But I think it is important to recognise that that isn't the Gender Recognition Act. That's the NHS, and I have enough money.
1: Yeah, no, and, and she, and she she does make that point. She makes that point at length.
0: Yeah. Yes. Um, so, um, Luke.
1: Yeah. Anything that can make that process easier is worth doing because the situation she describes is absolutely hellish. Yeah. And the, I mean, obviously I'm not trans, but I do have the experience of, you know, being reliant on medical practitioners to be able to live how I want to live. And that's fairly gatekeeping, but nothing compared to what yeah. she and other people have had to go through.
0: The most terrifying words of English language. I'm, here, um, I'm from the federal government and I'm here to help.
1: Ex- exactly, exactly.
0: So Luke, what is your topic?
1: My topic is China and COVID, and I've been wanting to—I've been wanting to talk about this literally for months. And we sadly, never,
2: we now have time to move. We have to move. On. <laughs> yeah, and we've
1: never—we've ne- we've never seemed to—we've never seemed to be able to fit it in, because obviously, last year, China very the tail end of last year, China very abruptly and in the face of you know widespread protests and civil disobedience. Rapidly transition from a policy of zero COVID to essentially letting COVID rip um, through the population. Now, I think this—I think this is interesting on any number of levels. Firstly, and I, I think this doesn't get talked about enough, it demonstrates that actually, for all its totalitarian, or Orwellian pretensions, the CCP is actually quite vulnerable to Chinese public opinion if that opinion is mobilized sufficiently broadly and if that public opinion is sufficiently firm. Um, the second the second thing I think is, it's, it's interesting is that um, China is now faced with a really awful situation in the sense that Um, a lot of its elderly population aren't vaccinated because, and this is not to do with sort of anti-vax or conspiracy theory, this is actually much more rooted in common sense. If I am a Chinese person and I, I am in my 70s and I can remember the Cultural Revolution because that actually happened far more recently than we remember, the tail end of that, only peters out in, like, 1976, 1977, so I don't even need to be that old. Somebody in their middle 50s can remember that. If I can remember that, and somebody from the Chinese Communist Party goes, stick this in your arm, my reaction is going to be, yeah, bollocks. I'm not not letting you touch me with anything. And third, it's interesting because um, the vaccine that China has developed... Is much less effective than the vaccines developed in the US, the UK, and Europe.
0: Well, well, actually, it's. I mean, it is less effective than the AstraZeneca um, vaccine. The AstraZeneca vaccine is also not as effective as the ones developed in Germany and in America. And I think one of the real like things we don't get enough credit for as a country. Is after you know, like doing the rah 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 stuff on the AstraZeneca <laughs> vaccine. The minute it became clear that the foreign vaccines were better, we we're like, get away from me, loser! And we just started like using the foreign ones as much. Yeah, as well, possible. That, that
1: that that was that was going to be my point because if the Chinese government genuinely, you know, if the Chinese government's top priority was the health of its people. It would, it would start buying massive amounts of Moderna and Pfizer vaccine. But of course, that's not the Chinese Communist Party's first priority. The Chinese Communist Party's first priority is to avoid losing face. Um, now, China it, China's health infrastructure is actually quite patchy. Um, there are large, you know, there are Large parts of rural China where the, the healthcare system is not particularly good. And we're about to hit the tech, we're about, I think in the next week, we're about to hit the tech noon, lunar new year, um, which is going to involve several hundred million people moving throughout China. Um, and now the Chinese health ministry released figures, I think on Thursday. Yeah, Thursday i um, saying that they've suffered in the last month about 60,000 deaths. by and cuz I still follow a lot of covid twitter from like 2020 and 2021 and everybody's pretty much unanimous that that's a massive underestimate. Um so yeah, this is this, this is this is this could be for the first sort of 6 months of this year. This could be an enormous story. Um, and the Chinese economy is not in a good place right now, for COVID and for other
0: reasons.
1: And people talk about China. I
0: do, I do notice they are starting to reinflate their uh, um, real estate uh, <laughs> sector after trying to wash yeah, it I earlier. Mean,
1: yeah, but I mean that's the thing. The, the reason they the reason they deflated it is because it was a massive bubble. If you're trying to reinflate it now, you're just going to reinforce like every bad tendency in the Chinese economy. And how? And how? <laughs> um, so yeah, what do you guys think, uh, Simon? Do you want to start? I do. Um,
2: so this is. Can, can, I, can I? Can I? Can I get? Can I, can I? Can I? Can I give you a small exclusive? But you have to genuinely, and this is actually like. I know this podcast doesn't go a huge audience, but basically, if you don't release this before eight o'clock. US time. It's currently four o'clock US time. I can give you a little bit of detail from the uh, next from the 2023 version of the Edelman Trust Barometer, which I think is really interesting on this stuff. Conan,
0: I promise I promise not to release it on time.
2: Excellent. If you could just not release it until sometime tomorrow, that would be that would be very useful. The gap between the gap in trust between they have between what we what we what has what uh, the element trust morality generally terms the um informed public and the general public informed public is basically people with money who have gone to university that's an oversimplification but has grown significantly in china in the last couple of years it's gone from like five points to like 17 percentage points in in about two years so I think what's really interesting is that Luke's point about the cultural revolution and I'm not willing to put a load of shit in I'm not willing to get vaccinated and all of that is probably true but it is also true that there has be, clearly been a fundamental breakdown between sort of the mass population in China and a sort of and the elite in that country about whether or not they're trusting the government across all top. Like this isn't just about healthcare. This is a, a much broader question of like, you know, do I trust them with the economy, which again, has had an absolutely torrid time over the last three years because of the zero COVID policy. Um, they are, there is a There there is a huge challenge in China if the CCP, because the CCP's is kind of, governing bargain really with the Chinese people is really risking breaking down which is the classic bargain of all sort of I don't want to call it a benign dictatorship because you only need to go to Xinjiang to see that it is not anything like a benign dictatorship but you know a sort of benevolent dictatorship if you are the right type of Chinese person of show up don't ask for many democratic rights beyond a sort of you know Yes, they can they are they can be pushed as they've been shown, but like do not expect to be able to elect your leaders, do not have freedom of speech, you're going to be monitored everywhere, <laughs> but you're go, for with that, you're going to see your 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 life lifestyle in, improve significantly over the next you know over your lifetime. And <clears throat> and that and and I think the the question now is very seriously whether the regular chinese population and there are you know many hundreds of millions of those people around across china are willing to listen to the ccp anymore and that makes it a much bigger question than just and covid is a huge question right i'm not trying to dismiss that because everything lucas said about you know we're heading for the lunar new year and at some point we'll go into golden you know we we're, we're going to be heading to some of the largest movements of people anywhere in the, probably anywhere in the history of the world yeah, and at the same time, COVID cases because you have a population that is less likely to be vaccinated. If they are, the vaccine is not as good. Yeah, you know, the, the the case numbers could be terrifying, and the reality is that you know the case numbers are are bad. I mean, I I as I said on the lot, um, I said recently, I, I had COVID over the Christmas New Year period. It was annoying, but basically, if you're properly vaccinated. For most people, obviously, there are still some people who sadly get more sick than that. But for most people, it isn't much more than just annoying. But if you are not properly vaccinated, if you are, and if, particularly if you are in a vulnerable group and older people who are less like, like in China, there are there are reports that you know doctors are saying, "Oh, you're an older person; you shouldn't get a vaccine. It is not good for you." Which is, you know, obviously the opposite of medical advice in most environments. And so not only could case numbers be astronomical, like serious illness and death numbers could also be incredibly bad. And that is like and if that happens, that is likely that is likely to do the Chinese healthcare system a great deal of damage. And it's yeah, I mean everything you're saying is is right. This is this is this could this is a story that we need to watch because it could be absolutely it could be horrific and fascinating.
0: I think I think what you see just more generally is that the Chinese the Chinese got bizarrely arrogant over covid um which is strange because it was their fault. um you know for no there, there are many ways it could have been their fault but like all we know is for deafness is that it was their fault um and they saw it as like actually been this great vindication of their Of their process and it's not been but like they use that that initial feeling of vindication to become more assertive more aggressive um and and both internally in terms of all this stuff about trying to reorder their domestic um supply chains and industrial priorities but also their relationship with Taiwan, with Japan, with India. Like, pe- like, it's weird, like, you know what? If you're looking for a question in a quiz, Simon, what, when was the last year China and India exchanged fire? Because, like, the fact that, like, two nuclear billion-plus superpowers actually had a military confrontation um twenty it was last year wasn't it was it 2021 Luke no it was
1: it was it was last year but yeah. I love I, lo- I love the fact that in order that in order to stop that from escalating there are actual rules of engagement that means there are huge groups of Indian and Chinese soldiers hitting each other with big sticks
0: but like that stuff has also been rolled back like it does feel like the Chinese no, the Chinese Communist Party no. They overreached, they overextended, they pissed people off. And now it's the time to like lick their runes and retrench. So like, you know, the the, the you know, I think they've reshuffled the Politburo, so like the Foreign Secretary, the equivalent of Foreign Secretary has changed. And you no, know, the person who's been moved away was somebody who was particularly associated with this very belligerent turn. Um, the as I mentioned before, you know, they're 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 trying to reinflate their house, their real estate industry. Um, now, maybe this is all linked to the fact that uh, uh, Winnie the Pooh is now you know, been elected for supreme leader for life. Um, um, you know, breaking the two-term rule as uh, um that had been in 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 in, in state for the past 20-30 years. But like it does feel like China is trying to reorient itself. Um, and it's gonna be difficult because I think the thing it's what's been proven with its reaction to these protests is I think what everybody knows, which is dictatorships tend to be more brittle than democracies because whatever you say about democracy as a way of organising your government, you at least, the government can always turn around to the people and say, well, it's your fault, you voted for us, and the the Chinese government can't do that.
2: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Do and you have so go on, oh, Simon. No, I know I think you're about to do the closing off bit, so let's yeah. Do you have anything else to say on this topic,
1: Luke? Um only, only that yes, I only to slightly push back on something you said. Well, there has been a shuffle in the Politburo and um, you know, and the sort of some of the government ministries. Again, I'm not a China expert, but I know people that are and, Basically, their argument was, they, yeah, they based, they've they changed personnel, but this doesn't really indicate much of a policy shift in any particular direction.
0: Oh, no, I don't think it's a policy shift, but I think it might be an approach shift. I think the Chinese yeah. want the same things they've always wanted, but I think they've realised they can't be quite as objectionable about it.
1: Yeah. So, is it, is it me again?
0: There's you again.
1: So talking about the uh, the quality of democracy and the people we vote for, I just want to take five minutes to laugh at George Santos, if that is in fact his real name.
0: <laughs> the <laughs> artist currently known. As the George artist San.
1: currently known as George Santos. This is so bizarre. The guy has effectively, as far as anybody <laughs> can tell, lied about pretty much his entire adult life, possibly up to and including his name because a video surfaced of him at a gay, Repo- uh, you know, gay Republicans event introducing himself as Anthony something or other. Um, he seems to have gone overnight from not having a pot to piss in to having quite a bit of money. Um, and I think that's probably the most interesting part of the scandal. It's not the lies themselves. Why does he feel the need
0: to lie
1: quite so um, aggressively? Um why on earth the C didn't know all this stuff. And actually, there's a there's a really interesting there is a really interesting angle on this about the death of local media. Because 20 years ago you couldn't have gotten away with this shit because a local paper would have a local paper would have been pulling at these threads. Um and it would have all it would have all collapsed before you got elected, um, and I think it says it says something, it says something about the way in which, um, you know, concentrations of media mean that elections become much more nationalized, and actually, individual candidates in individual races, particularly down ballot races like this, where everybody thought the Democrats would hold that seat relatively easily don't get the scrutiny that they should anymore but mostly I just want to talk about it because it's really really funny (laughs)
0: like I I do love this and like this is going to end up as a uh no drama series. I really hope like the, the relationship between Bad Wolf and Disney Plus means that Russell T Davies gets to write this drama rather than some boring American. Because you know what? There's something strangely attractive about George Santos. Like he's got tremendous style. Like he's actually kind of good looking in a like <laughs> cherubic way. Um, like, it's because one of the early scandals was people thought he was lying about being gay because he had been <laughs> married. And it's like, no, this cat ain't lying about being gay. <laughs> this guy is is a fabulous Republican.
1: <laughs> no, no, I, I just like chosen.
0: <laughs> but like, yeah, no, it's... um. I so I think there's two things here. Like so like the amount of stuff he's lied about is incredible. Like, like it's stuff like he's lied about like he's not only did he lie about going to a certain university, but he lied about being like a star volleyball player for that university. Um <laughs> national championship winning volleyball player. I, I think the students said like one I, like I think all the because that there, there have been like a meta argument in American political discourse about whether um the house should seat him um because like the house can vote to just reject somebody and and like I think that argument always missed the point, which was, well, why is he lying because it does it does certainly seem like. That, no, he'd be an actual crim. Like, there'd be crimes that uh, he's committed that he's trying to hide with with all this kind of subterfuge. Well,
1: al- al- allegedly. We, Alleged crimes. Remember,
0: allegedly. But like, but, like, campaign finance crimes, which is, like, the reason for him to stay as a congressman because, you know, that's what you offer as a chip to the prosecutors for them to go easy on you. I do think, and, like, this, and, like, it... Now, what this reminds me of this. Going to be a bit. This is going to sound a bit of a detour. This reminds me of Extinction Rebellion. Um,
2: because I'm, I'm
0: are... fascinated to know where you're going
1: with this. Well,
2: it's, it's it's all right, Luke. My comparison is even more left field. So you know, all right,
0: okay. Well, there are rules to society. Um, that we all have to abide by to make society work. But, like, they're not rules that you can actually enforce because that would then grind society down to a halt. Like, like in theory, if you're walking across... I say, you know, in a shopping mall, like, it's a multi-story shopping mall. In theory, if you're, like, on the escalator behind somebody, you could just push them off to their death. But, like, there's nothing to stop you doing that. Everybody just kind of understands... That you know, don't be a dick. Don't push people to their deaths. And so, like, I I, I think I I always hate ex- Extinction Rebellion, So I think they are abusing um, these like invisible rules that we all promise to kind of abide by, so we can have nice things. So like I'm like I was reading a Twitter thread about like how now people trying to go into a new art uh, art gallery exhibit or having all their bags checked because the art gallery is now paranoid about people trying to throw paint over the new paintings and it's just like oh this oh, this, 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 this is this is going to make life worse in like this really annoying way for no good reason and and i think it's a bit like this when it's like all politicians lie obviously and all politicians spin their resume But, like, the line in this is so flagrant that if this is allowed to stick, then it just gets really annoying. Because like, why should the Democrats double-check where this goon went to university? Like, we should live in a society where, like, actually that, if someone says they went to a certain university in public, that you can just take that as true? Like it'd be it'd be really annoying and p- boring and bureaucratic and pointless if every single thing someone says about themselves whilst running for office has to be kind of put through the miller. Like it's a line from God Godfather, Godfather, isn't it? You no, know, we are all reasonable men. We shouldn't have to talk as if we are lawyers. Yeah, you know, like you, you're you're allowed to lie a little bit. You're allowed to embellish a little bit. But I just think this guy went way overboard, and I and i think actually if if parliamentary houses won't enforce standards of decorum of behaviour who will and look let's 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 be quite frank about this as houses such as the house of representatives such as our own house of commons as they became less willing to impose mutually agreed standards on misbehaving members, because it would it, no, it, it, the House of Commons used to vote people out um, if they'd been seen to behave badly. That has coincided with them with them being less esteemed by the public because they can't police themselves against renegades and charlatans as as well as they used to do. What, what do you
2: think, Simon? I I, look, I agree with most of this, and I think you know. So here's the, here's the, I, I, I promised you a, 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 a more wild comparison than extinction rebellion and um, and I think it slightly to me it slightly explains why all of this um, sort of what why, why basically George Santos wasn't caught, which is that there were bits and bobs of the local media kind of and they they were picking up you know titbits and stories that this guy he was lying more than the average candidate. You know, but yeah, he was a candidate. No one really cared that much about he. No one. No, there wasn't the. Ta- no one had quite done the whole knitting it together. But I'm reminded of a. I was. I was thinking of a line. um Jonathan Friedland's most uh, recent book is on the first Jewish people to escape from Auschwitz. See, I told you. I told you this was a. This was
1: well, a. Biz- well, G- George Santos isn't Jewish. He is however a Jew. If,
2: but like when the when so basically this guy the 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 first jewish person to escape from auschwitz obviously escaping from auschwitz a good idea anyway but he basically realized that the only way he was going the the person who this guy in in auschwitz was going to be able to do anything to save anyone's life was to get out and to tell people what the hell was going on and one of the that like it, 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 in many ways, it saved many people's lives. It was very good. But some of the people who were presented with this evidence, which was incredibly well sourced and, you know, very, you know, very believable and all of that, because, of course, it was happening, um, said, I don't disbelieve you, but I don't believe that this could be happening. And I think to a much lesser extent, clearly the level of lying that George Santos was doing, even if someone had been able to knit together all of the different examples of all of the different things that he was lying about, I think there would have been a level of disbelief because it would have been incredible to think that anyone could have lied to this extent. And so I think sometimes, because theres there wasn't a kind of one central thing, it wasn't like, you know, I, and, and I'm not saying this has happened, like that he'd, you know, not paid income tax for 10 years and everything was covering that up it seems that he just has a pathological lying about everything you know we don't know that we don't we're not entirely sure of the man's name we don't know where you know he lied about where he went to university he lied about his faith faith and racial background he lied about this he lied. didn't he lie basically he was a descendant of holocaust survivors as well yeah he's not jewish yeah no no but my point is he, he not only said I'm Jewish, but he also said in my family there were survivors. Because there are obviously people who are Jewish who not very many, because it was obviously such a horrific crime, but you know. But like, this, the level of lying is, is it was would I think I mean, of defied the, belief?
1: I mean, the the the, the ultimate one, the one, that, the one that continues to take my breath every time I think about it is lying that your mother died on 9-11. <laughs> I mean, what? What kind of person
2: does that? I mean, I think it's a very... I mean, it's just... I I actually think this guy might be unwell. Like, like there might be something genuinely... He (laughs) might actually have some problems and needs to go and see a doctor. Because, yeah, Yeah. that is a really pathological... That's a really sort of... I mean, it is obviously... 9 11, you know, the salience of 9 is 11 a, is a terrible thing, and I'm not trying to diminish it, but like the salience of that has somewhat diminished because it is nearly a quarter of a century. Yeah, ago but you, now. you
0: remember? He is running in New York. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's that's and I know, so this is why, like, you may, may be wondering oh. why is he pretending to be Jewish? The like the, the district he's running in New York is like a more Jewish district than average. So, like, you know, this is all fairly. Calculator. like I could, like, 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 I've not see, got around to seeing it yet, but he got like the St- Stonehouse John Stonehouse documentary on ITV. You it's know, not a
1: documentary, it's, it's like no, a yeah, documentary.
0: drama, even. So, but, yeah. but like, this will be a great drama, and like I say, like, they should get Russell T. Davis to uh, do it. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about uh, George Santos?
1: <laughs> no,
0: <laughs> just. just-,
1: just- Wow!
0: Wow! Just, wow. <laughs> wow! Um, what was what, what was going to be my um? Oh, see, like I was who came up with this. I, oh, yeah, Northern Island Protocol. Of course, it's going to be the Northern Island Protocol. It's always the Northern yeah. Island Protocol, of well. Um, okay. Uh, I think we
1: can get through this
0: quite quickly. Well, yeah. Well, basically, um, the 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 government is shockingly. Shockingly, I I, I hope you're brace, guys. They may not go through with the North Island Protocol Bill. Who who predicted that? Oh, who wait would have thunk it? You, 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 Luke, not everybody can see this. I predicted it. I predicted um. that. <laughs> um, uh, who,
1: in, in who, has, who has two thumbs and predicted this? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I I just can't believe that this very transparent gambit has turned out to be a transparent gambit. Um, so there's been a deal over the access to live tracking data um, of stuff going into Northern Ireland. Um, um, there's been um, it's interesting that there's no that isn't reciprocal. So we don't know that the the we don't get any data about what's going into Northern Ireland from the Republic. It's as if this is a one-sided deal to try and solve a problem for the Tory party. Um there's talk that they are about to come to a deal on tariffs and quotas, because there have been a bit few issues with state aid as it relates to Northern Ireland. It certainly feels like they are hurtling towards a deal, and we—oh no—we could get one next week. Like, I, like it, like they are—they are being incredibly cagey because I think they're trying to de-escalate the importance of the talks because the EU wants to pretend that these are technical rather than political. But like, they—they—they they are proceeding at a clip. I will see what it all comes to in the end, but like, it doesn't feel like they've got anything that will convince the DUP to go back. Like it feels like it's very, it's a watered down version of something the DUP weren't overly happy with, which was this idea of, of green and red lanes, by the way, Brilliant example of how the EU and the Irish as well. The Irish are guilty of this as well. The EU demanded that green lanes be renamed express lanes because they thought the unionists would be unhappy with the word green lanes. It's like, guys... They're not that you know like how, how stupid do you think you are they don't have some they're not reverse green lantern, they don't have some sort of terror at the word green um so um that would be yellow, wouldn't it? That's why I say reverse, okay um so um we'll see what happens, but like i it doesn't it feels like. If you're a better man, you'd say that this is not enough for the u p to go back into the involved government um interestingly this this week the government did did push through some direct rule legislation to empower it to build the border check posts, which was a way of and i this is this is like a really interesting bit of nerd, nerdery actually, so strap yourself in guys um Edwin Poots, for it is he, he, before uh, before the DUP collapsed uh, 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 power sharing, he initiated legal action to say that the decision of the then uh, Minister for Agriculture, which, by the way, was one Edwin Poots to start building the border infrastructure, that was illegal because he hadn't taken that decision. And by he, by the way, I mean Edward Poots hadn't <laughs> taken it to the, the full Northern Ireland executive. Now, of course, <laughs> if you'd taken it to the Northern Ireland executive, it would have been approved, because there is a pro-protocol majority on the Northern Ireland executive because of the nationalist parties and the alliance.
2: <laughs> uh, but, but
0: technically he hadn't taken it, they hadn't gotten executive approval. So there's a legal challenge that Edwin Poots may have asked some loyalist paramilitaries to put in put in place, um, um that he he felt was right. And he left written instructions to the civil servants as power sharing was collapsing, that if the, the high court um ruled against this legal challenge that they should um, appeal and they should fight to say that decision he had made was illegal, he being Edwin Poots. Now, this, no, the High deed in the North Island courts did rule that what decision Edwin Poots had made was legal, which really ignored, annoyed Edwin Poots, because Edwin Poots thought that the decision Edwin Poots had made was actually highly illegal.
1: How many times did you say Edwin Poots
0: to the single cell? <laughs> well, we didn't do it, we I not carry on, because that then activated the advice Edwin Poots had left his Edwin Poots's civil servants to appeal the decision that what Edwin Poots had done was actually legal, because Edwin Poots was convinced that what Edwin Poots had done was actually highly illegal. But <laughs> um, so so the key thing here is, the key thing here is this is, this is written advice, direct advice to the civil servants. We, we don't have direct rule in Northern Ireland, they, the civil servants are kind of doing a bridging action. They are not meant to, to, to deviate from the direction that had been set by the previous ministers. So does that mean they have to follow his instructions to appeal this court ruling? Even though pretty much everybody recognises that this is fucking bollocks. Um, Now, here's the thing, right? If they asserted their rights to ignore his direction, that then set a precedent that they could ignore bad ideas from the previous set of ministers, which then meant, which would then mean that these four civil servants left running in Northern Ireland, actually couldn't hide behind what the ministers did. They would actually have to use their own judgment in every decision. And so the government stepped in and used direct rule to cut this Gordian knot and uh, start building the border posts. So, so yes. Um, Edwin Poots.
1: So to quote Admiral Ackbar, it's a trap. (laughs) Basically, the whole thing was a massive trap.
0: So this is this is this is where you get to like my very odd personality because, like, I was really enjoying myself explaining the minutiae of that. My head hurts. What but do like, you, what do you
2: think, Simon? I think it's good in a in a in the middle of January when you know there's often not a lot of lot of joy to be had in the world that you found some through the life of edwin poots and i'll be honest with you i get the sense you might be the person who's got the most joy after the life of edwin poots mm. so far
0: well maybe mrs poots <laughs>
2: no no i said what i said <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yes but like i think this is what i this space there is going to be movement on the protocol but probably not as much movement in devolved power sharing as a government
2: would like simon it's over to you it is, isn't it? And this I, I was I was so obsessed. Um I was so sort of, you know, excited by the Edwin Poots discussion that I realized that yes, I needed to come up with a second topic, which I should have done. Now this is the thing, you see, Will came up with this idea and it's a good idea, and it's worked well. But also, um, he's had, you know, however long it is since he came up with the idea to come up with a second topic. Um, and I've been thinking about Edwin Poots for a while now. And comparing things to the Holocaust in ways that hopefully won't get me cancelled too much. Uh, so, what do I? What else do I think? Really, what else? I'm just trying to think of the other things that have been
0: really. Uh, uh,
2: I'm going to give you. I'm going to give a joke. You've got
0: until my clock says thirty-seven past. So it's only on thirty-five past. Okay, no, so I you've got ninety I, seconds. Otherwise, okay. we're going to make you talk about Prince Harry. Uh,
2: no, no, I, I would. I suppose. Can I? Can I? Can I? Can I just do the reasons why I don't think it's likely Boris Johnson is going to come back? And start- yes, that, that's, that is a story. That is a story. Um, so I find it really interesting. So there's a bunch of stories in the. There's been a bunch of stories this weekend that are clearly coming from Sunak's outriders in the press, that um, which basically. I, I like, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not a, it's not a shock to discover that Boris Johnson is a wrong one, but it's always fun to prove that it's the case. So there's, there's a story in the guard. There's a story that he's been a dis that his, that some distant cousin of him was basically a credit guarantor whilst he was in number ten. There's a story that, in 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 in, in a failure to understand the uh, myth of the scorpion and the frog. Um, He's going to promise that he won't stand against Rishi Sunak if he's given a seat that he's unlikely to lose. Um, And there is clearly, and there is just, there's just this weird, it's an interesting sort of pre-lash to the idea of Boris Johnson replacing Rishi Sunak at some point in 20, before the election, which I think is indicative of the fact that people are, people inside Camp Sunak, who, let's be clear, like it's not going well, at least not politically, because, yes, they're not the 30 points behind they were in the dog days of Liz Truss. I mean, if something that lasts that little can have dog days and not dog days, I'm not sure. But, like, they are still pretty consistently in most polls to that extent that we got with Nick Clegg and his unpopularity that we're kind of almost baking it in. About twenty points behind in most polls now. I, I and- think
0: the way the toys are being written up at the moment does feel a lot like Nick Clegg Lib Dems in the sense of, I think I think they are more popular in the commentariat than they are in 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 the country. The commentariat kind of sympathises with why they're in this awful position, and they just refuse to believe it's as bad as it actually is.
2: Yeah, and it it yeah, and it's a fascinating like, and the thing that the, the problem that the the problem the Liberal Democrats had with with the kind of, after the kind of initial shock at the end of 2010 of their poll ratings sort of going through the floor and Nick Clegg becoming slightly less popular than ven- some venereal diseases, um, it they just, they got to this weird stage of like, oh, well, obviously this is what always happens to us. Because like, to be fair, the Liberal Democrats historically, i.e. before 2015, would be kind of in the doldrums in the middle of parliaments and then pick up quite significantly when they got more coverage um, in general elections. The problem was, as the coalition partner in a government, they were already getting quite a lot of coverage and they were still staggeringly unpopular. And so they kind of r- baked in all of that up- lack of popularity. The problem was that they'd kind of forgotten that that level of lack of popular- up- popularity leads you to win only eight seats in a general election. And so that-
0: what- Sorry, can I just go there? Because I, like, I think what you've highlighted there as well is... You get, I mean, Rob Ford did interestingly me he said actually Tories tend to be a bit more b- bounce back in midterms than Labour does. But I'm sure part of that is, is that, you know, like half of Labour governments are post-1997, well, half's an exaggeration, like a lot, in terms of the, actually, no, it's not as, well, a lot of Labour governments are post-1997, i.e. when there's more sophisticated polling, um, and so, okay, antiquated polling methods. Under- put the Tories way too low between 1983 and 1987 and then they bounced back. Does it mean as much? Because like, even in, even in like the 2010-2015 parliament, it's like the Tories... No, the midterm poll actually were fairly accurate for where the Tories would be. It's just that they went from narrowly losing the election to narrowly winning it. And to be fair, they went from narrowly losing it to narrowly winning it. By cannibalizing their coalition partner, so um, yeah, I um, Luke. Do you, sorry, Tom. Did you have anything else to say on that?
2: And that was the sort of yeah. That's that was my kind of introductory kind of statement. So, and I mean, I mean, I suppose, like, to, if I want to pose this question, do you think there's a chance of Boris Johnson will come back? So
0: I will go because I saw you said to somebody, maybe Stephen Bush adding um, that it was 50-50. And I would clearly say it's not 50-50. It may be 25-75, which would still be very high. And I'll, I'll tell you why. So you have, obviously, Wilson and Churchill as examples of uh, prime of prime minister's who lose the office and then come back, but they they retain the leadership of their party. You have to go all the way back to um Gladstone for somebody who lost the leadership of his party and then regained it. But like, but he didn't lose it. He retired. Um so like it was kind of weird he had given up his leadership. It was weird. He he got it back. In this era, you know that began. Luke, when when did this era of British
2: politics begin?
0: Oh come on, Luke. You you know the answer I, to this question.
2: I, I know the I know the answer to this question. Go
0: on sorry. Eighteen sixty seven. Eighteen sixty seven with the Second Reform Act. In this era, where parliamentary uh, the parliamentary parties are linked to the mass opinion in the in the public. They aren't just parliamentary factions where they kind of do this incestuous uh, politician swapping all the time. Since then, only one example of somebody giving up the leadership and then uh, resuming it. Um, and that was an extremely weird circumstance. If Johnson was to... Resume the leadership um and resume the premiership it would be unprecedented now to be fair, the fact that we've had two uh, no two out of the last three prime ministers become prime minister from the back benches that in of itself is unprecedented you know that's actually very unusual um even if they had previous roles as like um um, oh, I, I, um, I, I, great! I, I of
2: states. I had to doubt you, and then I, I, I was, I was, I was going through, and I'm like, oh yeah, of course, Sunak resigned. Yeah, of course, yeah. Sunak was a backbencher when he became
0: prime minister. So, so like it's possible. I, I think the thing is fundamentally, um, if Johnson had a safe seat, I would be very. I I would put like, I I'd think it's a very good chance he'd be the leader of the opposition after the Tories lose the election. Because a, it's going to be clearly be such a slog to be um, leader of the opposition. So some of the younger members may not want to do it, but also um, they're clearly not ready. Um, and and I and I think Johnson probably would end up being a fairly good leader of the opposition. But like the problem is, in his current seat, he's probably not going to survive. Um and uh I can't remember who was putting it, but like there is a di- there's, there there's a definite dissonance between the idea that Boris Johnson is a uniquely popular across the country and B, he desperately needs a non-marginal seat to not be carried a- carried okay. along in the wave. Um so yeah, I I I think Sunak will survive this year. There is a chance the Tories get desperate next year and do something crazy. But also, like one of the news items Simon didn't list is a confirmation that these standards and privileges committee hearings are going to be televised. So Johnson having to explain all the dodgy, dodgy shit that was done in Downing Street. That's all going to be televised and I just don't see him coming across well in that, in the end. What do you think, Luke?
1: I think I'm going to go and get some popcorn.
0: <laughs>
1: is, what, is what I think. And look, who among us doesn't have a distant Canadian cousin that can stand as guarantor for a credit line of nearly a million quid? I mean, I mean, you know, Holding politicians to a higher standard is one thing. But who among us doesn't have a distant Canadian cousin who is loaded? It's just like no, I don't think Boris Johnson is coming back. And if he does, it's gonna make no difference to the to the oncoming electoral apocalypse.
0: He'll bring it he'll bring, it, bring it sooner.
1: But more, but more, well, yeah, but more fundamentally, like I think Rishi Sunak is actually quite a talented politician. But he needs to work out what he is, what he wants to be as Prime Minister, beyond the guy who fixed the catastrophe that uh, Liz Truss left him. I mean maybe. Sorry, name, sorry, sorry name, Luke,
0: sorry, sorry, Luke, sorry, right? He just he's not even sure he wants to be that because like he won't openly say yeah. Liz Truss is a wrong one.
1: Yeah. I mean, apart from apart from continuing maths to the age of eighteen. Um,
0: good luck finding the maths teachers, by the way.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which, uh, which, you, which, you know, whatever you think of the rights and wrongs of the policy, good luck actually implementing it.
0: And also, but, so, 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 can we just say, like, as well, like. Okay, does that mean that everybody has to do maths A level because that's a lot more
2: maths? No, it, it does it doesn't. I mean, I I think it's a bad. Well, oh, no, no,
0: no, 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 no. Simon, I think you're projecting because people who have thought about this, who agree with Sunak, don't no don't have it as meaning doing maths A level. But I don't think Sunak agrees with the, like the Tomlinson report. I think Sunak agrees with A levels. I just don't think Sunex thought through the implications of his policy.
1: Well, I I'm I'm just saying I could be taking math I if I had to take maths A level, I would never have gotten into university in a month of Sunday. Well no, I, because you, you could you could stick me in front of the maths A level syllabus from now until the the, the, the the now until the sun explodes. I wouldn't get it. I'm just not built that way. I,
0: I, I don't know, like I think I think I mean my my suggestion would be because I, I like our levels, I wouldn't moved to baccalaureate system. but like my thing would be is you you move general studies away from being trying to teach people knowledge to trying to be a more functional uh, syllabus. So it is more like, how do you write an essay how you know how no how do you how do you construct a spreadsheet you know like it, it's 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 more of these kind of functional skills um, but but
1: anyway that wasn't the that wasn't the I didn't really want to get into a discussion of um, the virtues of the policy my Point is, can anybody name a single policy initiative beyond that that Rishi Sunak has taken that isn't reversing something that was trusted or reversing something that Boris Johnson did?
0: Small boats?
1: Uh, I, yeah. I mean, I, Again, it, it, small boats is not the stuff of which private uh, premierships are made.
2: Also, like I'm not convinced that keeping talking about small boats is uh, you know is, is is a vote winner. Like you know, it is a thing that keeps coming up on the doorstep, but partly because the Conservative Party keeps talking about it on the doorstep. So you know I I
0: I I think the thing is with Sunak is A he's a, a weak Prime Minister. So how much leeway does he have to choose what he talks about? But B, you know, like he's he's a very dry Prime Minister. And so, like, you know, he's paralyzed by the fact that he won't borrow more. And there's arguments to say you, you shouldn't and can't borrow more. But also he won't, he knows his party won't let him raise taxes. Now, I think we you are entering an interesting period because we have been very lucky this this winter. It's been primarily fairly cold. The wholesale prices will you yeah, wild Um, um you, you, the wholesale price is remarkably low. Um, and so you know, there is a possibility that either this budget or the autumn statements they could do some stuff on the margins. But like how much that will mean is here not there, but yeah, no, like I, I but like I think the th- <clears throat> I think the thing is though, I I remember Major after the ninety five leadership election, and Major was a bit like this. It's like do something, you know, it's the old Tony Blair guide. There are two, to, there are two Tory parties, and he leads neither. But actually, that's how you survive. <laughs> like you survive by doing nothing, because anything you do. Well, you know, your um, what's the um, move in chess? Where to move? It's a checkmate yourself.
2: Oh, be- um, I- uh, it's zugzwang. I know this because it came up in a quiz. Yeah. It came up in a quiz I literally did this afternoon.
0: Yeah, so that th- that's where Sunak is. If if he raises more spending, he has to increase taxes. If he cuts taxes, he has to he has to cut spending. If he announces a policy, there's probably going to be 40 uh, Tory MPs who are against it. Um, I, I do want like to go back to what I was talking about a second ago. Like, I do wonder if he can get away with doing something in Northern Ireland that might give him more confidence that the parliamentary party isn't kind of frozen in place. But yeah, I, 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 I like this is kind of one of the reasons why we've had to do this because, like, I don't know about you guys. Politics is kind of boring at the moment.
1: Wait, it's then... not even—it's not even boring. It's just in this weird
0: stasis. No, no, it's not. This is normal. This is what politics is meant to be like. Like, it's not good. Like, ideally, you have this weird stasis when things are going well. But like, I think it is part of it where you forget that we've been in such like a weird tumultuous space. Since uh, 2014. What? The to... normality?
1: The normality? She was like,
0: everything yeah.
1: stopped.
0: Yeah, like, it's like, oh, oh, like, like, there the, the are things to talk about, but like, they're, they're weird procedural, managerial things. It's <laughs> like, oh, actually, we have a Tory party, that for all its fault, is, and then all its inadequacies, It's trying to make things better, based on, a, no, no, versus a terrible inheritance that a Tory Party has given it. And you have the Labour Party that isn't trying to like espouse socialist revolution or get one over on their older brother, is also trying to grapple with how you make the state better. And uh, yeah, you know it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a bit low energy. And on that bombshell. Yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the 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 end of this six, six 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 this this sixer is in fact there's no more we, there's no more we there's no nothing, great there's no material anymore and that's it that's the end there's no great causes left I've been Will calling he's
0: been Simon Alvey he's been I've a... been George Santos he's been George Santos <laughs> we'll <laughs> talk to you again in a while.